5. So uh, let's turn to God's word now. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Mighty God in heaven, Send forth your light and truth that every secret fear in our hearts might be opened to joy. Grant to us your Holy Spirit that we might sense the joyful secret that you are abiding with us. We long to dwell in the secret place of the Most High through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So this morning, I'd like to talk about two things that death focuses our attention on and that make for a good death. Two things that death focuses our attention on, the inner self and the unseen world. Death focuses us on things that we tend to ignore, things we tend to forget about are the inner self and the unseen eternal world. And so the reason why death is such an important event, is such an important part of the Christian life, is because, uh, because where it points us, these two things. So why is it important? Two things. And the first of them this morning is this. Death focuses us on the inner life, the inner self. And of course, you see that in these famous words from the Apostle Paul, verse 16, which says, Though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul says that the process of dying, you know, our outer selves wasting away, works in parallel with 
an inner process of transformation in our lives. Which means that death is not only the moment when uh, someone's heart stops. And, you know, there was something that I wrestled with over the, the last few months, watching my dad uh, suffer and his body decaying. And I wondered, was it okay for me to want him to be free from all this suffering? But you have to die to be free from all this suffering. And the Bible says death is God's enemy. So how could I want something that is God's enemy like death? But I realized that death was not simply that final moment when my dad took his last breath. It was death that had been stripping him of his strength over the last uh, five years. Death had taken my dad's work away. Death had taken many of my dad's friends away. Death had taken away uh, all the things that my dad loved to do. He wasn't able to do anymore. And as Paul puts it earlier in this passage, death was at work in him. Death is at work in all of us. And, you know, many of you, you know, who knew my dad only knew him in the last three years where he was a member of our church. And during those years, he was really active. He was worshiping and, and he opened his home and he built relationships. He welcomed new people. As someone was just saying last service, they said, you know, the first person who met me at Christ Church was your dad. And he came up to me. He knew I was new. Um, he was not always like that. I mean, you might not know, this is the first church he was ever a member of. He's 75 years old, and this is the first church he was a part of. And as painful as it was to see my dad being brought so low, it was having a transformative effect on his character to go through that. And actually, my brother, the week after my dad passed, my brother's not a Christian, and he, from someone outside of the church, he says something was happening those last three years. There was a new kind of love and a new kind of affection that was being formed. He saw it. Christ being formed in him in a parallel with this process of death. And the qualities that were being formed in my dad those three years were what David Brooks, David Brooks is a New York Times columnist, has called eulogy virtues. Eulogy virtues are the qualities of character that people mention at your funeral. And he says eulogy virtues are different than resume virtues, you know, qualities that make you successful in life. And uh, a lot of those qualities that make your resume look good, no one mentions in, at your funeral. People don't talk about at memorial services how much money we made. It's about character. And death makes us realize how important character is. How much more time and energy do we put in to working on our resume virtues than our eulogy virtues. How much time and energy and focus do our eulogy virtues get in our lives? And, you know, after my dad's memorial service, I was standing there talking to two couples, an older couple and a younger couple who I don't think knew each other. And the older, the man, the older couple said, you know, when I get to my memorial and they have a sharing time, I think it's going to be crickets. <laughs> no one's going to get up and say anything. And you think it was kind of a joke and it was, sad too and the gal the other couple said you know well there's still time and it, it was like wow that's something to think about there is still time and it was it was a powerful moment and Paul in this passage takes it one step further and says that what matters even more than what your friends or your family will say at your funeral is what God will say about us when we all will appear before our creator you see those words in verses 9 and 10. 
So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Death brings all of this into focus. The question of character, who am I? What eulogy virtues is Christ forming in me now? How much attention am I giving to resume virtues instead of eulogy virtues? What will be said before the judgment seat of Christ about me? And how important is all of this to me? Death focuses us on the inner person. And you know, actually one thing about this passage, there's one virtue in particular that Paul focuses on in this passage, which is courage. Right? You see that verse 16 at the beginning, so we do not lose heart. In chapter 5, verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Verse 8, yes, we are of good courage. The Christian life, the life of your outer life decaying, you know, forming of eulogy virtues, it takes courage. And I'll tell you even more than that, the good death. The path that each one of us will have to walk of death requires courage. And, you know, actually during those last two days that my dad was at hospice house, there was about an hour and a half period. He was pretty much asleep the whole time, but there was an hour and a half period where he really suffered the most. And for whatever reason, that happened to be the hour and a half where my wife Shannon was there alone with him and holding his hand, trying to speak words of comfort to him and telling him he's doing a good job. And what she said afterwards was she was amazed to see in his eyes such courage. He couldn't talk. But she could see that he knew he had a path to walk and he was being brave. And so our first point is this, is that death, the whole process of death in Christ focuses, refines, reveals, and deepens our character, our inner life, our inner self. And because of that, the good death, the Christian death, is both tragic and beautiful at the same time. That is exactly what I would say about the last month. It's tragic and beautiful. But this verse, you know, about the outer self wasting away and the inner self being renewed tells us that death also means uh, we are getting closer to things that are invisible to us. And that's the second lesson about why death is such an important event in the Christian life. It's not only that death focuses on the inner self, but that death focuses on us on the unseen world. And there are two unseen worlds that I want to talk about. The first is the present unseen world. And, you know, the Bible tells us that there's this whole unseen realm now where God lives, where the souls of, uh, of saints who have gone before us live as a world of angels and spirits and demons, and we're largely oblivious to it. And then there's a, another future unseen world. So there's a present unseen world, this reality now, and then there's a future unseen world, what the Bible calls the age to come. And I want to talk about both of these. So first, death focuses us on the present unseen world. And you, you can see in, in verses 17 and 18 where it says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul contrasts the visible transient world that we see with the invisible eternal world. And that book that, um, that I mentioned, The Art of Dying, that, I had, that Daniel had given to me, uh, has a chapter in it called The Spirituality of Death. And what the author talks about is that many people, when they're getting very close to death, have experiences, spiritual experiences that are not, that normal people tend not to have. And, you know, it could look like very near the end of the death, all of a sudden someone has a surge of energy and they, they've been maybe unconscious and they just start talking. And you think, well, are they recovering or something like that? And then, and then they just pass quickly. And it was like they had this spiritual energy that came upon them right before they passed. Or other people say that they see Maybe people who have passed before or beings that have come to assist them in the transition from this world into the next. And it is like those who are dying have one foot in this world and one foot in the unseen world. And so being around them is an opportunity for us to come closer to the unseen world in ways that we don't in normal life. And, you know, I'll tell you, I had an experience of this. Let's, let's call this an unofficial part of the sermon because it's kind of a speculation. But on the day my, my dad passed, uh, you know, we, we spent many hours during the day with his body. And, um, and that afternoon I, I went to a, a wood and went on a walk through the path. It was a beautiful winter day, the clear sky, and it was 4.30, the sun was low. And there I felt a presence in those woods. And, you know, I kept stopping and, and I came around this bend in the wood and I just had this sense that my dad had come to meet me there. And I, I couldn't see him, but I, the sense I had was that he had been given permission to come say goodbye to me. And there I stood before him for I don't know how many minutes it was, but the veil that, you know, where that world seems so distant, it felt like right there, like I could reach into it and touch it. And uh, now I'm not saying that you should pray to dead people or that I really know anything about the afterlife. What I'm saying is that to be present around death, you are coming closer to the present unseen world. And that world becomes more vivid and more real to us. And actually, the, the next day, I, my old uh, pastor, I, we stopped by his house. He's, Bert Hitchcock is a pastor of Wiserly Chapel. And I stopped in to see him. My dad had just passed, and I spent a little bit talking with him. And he said to me that, you know, over his lifetime, he'd been, he's been a pastor for decades. He says that as people watch people they love, Christians that they love, who, who go to be with the Lord, each time... This world becomes a little less real, and the world where they're going becomes more real. And, you know, for many of us, we feel like, you know, this world feels very concrete. I can feel it. I know it's there. And oftentimes, the other world, I'm not sure. You know, I know the Bible talks about it. I believe it's there, but I'm not sure I can feel that it's there. And he's saying as time goes on, this world feels more dim. And say, that's the real reality. That's the real, uh, that's what we're facing and what we're looking forward to. 
Um, and one thing that means for us is that as our health fails and we approach death, part of the good death is letting people come near us. And there are many reasons why, as we're approaching death, we wouldn't want people to come near us. You know, your body doesn't work, your mind doesn't work, you might do something embarrassing, and there's a potential shame that often isolates people, and they keep people away as they're dying. They don't want to bring people into that. And um, I'll tell you, one of the most remarkable parts of my dad's final days was, you know, our church has a Christmas dinner for our elders and our deacons and our staff every year and my parents usually host it and it was one of his goals before he died was I'm going to host that party and this was two weeks before he passed he couldn't walk he couldn't make it to the bathroom and he had 35 people they said you're going to be around me we're going to have this Christmas dinner around a man who's about to die who is entering the eternal world and everyone who was there that night felt that the present unseen world was hauntingly close Shame and embarrassment have the potential of, to keep the dying away from those who need to be near them. And so we need to be close to the people who are dying. The people who are dying have to let us in. I think it's difficult for both parties. But it's important. And so let me just say, you know, a thought for us as a church family, what that means for a church family is, you know, the big rule around death Dying, grieving is be present. And, you know, I've learned that as a pastor. If someone's dying, someone's lost someone, the rule is just show up. You, show, you need to be there. It's one of the most important events in life. I've learned that by failing as a pastor. Now, I have to say, though, you as a church seem to know this because many of you seem to, you know, it's very hard um, uh, we receive so many notes and cards and hugs and texts and calls. I know many of you, you know, said, hey, I don't know if you're overwhelmed. I want to be there with you. You know, if we can get a beer. What, you know, it's just a way to say, I want to be present with you. I don't want to overwhelm you, but know that I'm here. Know that I'm praying. And it's basically to say, I don't know what the right words are to say, but I want to say something. And, uh, you know, part of the reason I bring this up is because I think it is difficult to know how to be around death people who are dying or people who've lost loved ones. And C.S. Lewis, uh, when he lost his wife, Joy, wrote a, a journal uh, about the experience of grieving that was later published called A Grief Observed. And um, I want to read a paragraph from some of the early pages of that journal. This is, this is how he de- describes the experience. An odd byproduct of my loss is that I'm aware of being an embarrassment to everyone I meet. At work, at the club, in the street, I see people as they approach me, trying to make up their minds whether they'll say something about it or not. I hate it if they do and if they don't. Some funk it altogether. R has been avoiding me for a week. I like best the well-brought-up young men, almost boys, who walk up to me as if I were a dentist, turn very red, get it over, and then edge away to the bar as quickly as they decently can. Perhaps the bereaved ought to be isolated in special settlements like lepers. The whole matter is an embarrassment. And so I thought, okay, 
here's a couple thoughts about, and some of you might feel that, the difficulty. I certainly feel the difficulty. Here's a few things maybe that I've reflected on the, over the last few weeks. So two things. First, don't let the fear of being intrusive keep you from people. Now, of course, we have to respect people, and that's part of the challenge. How do I respect people and be present at the same time? Don't let the fear of being intrusive keep you from people. And I'll, I'll share uh, one story. The, the Sunday before my dad passed, he had just gone into hospice house, and I came here to worship. And we were having communion. I was sitting over here, and I had my hands in my face praying, and, uh, um, you know, I knew the end was coming, and Aaron Lundy, sorry, Aaron, uh, Aaron came up to me, put his hand on me, he's like, hey, I just want to give you a hug. And I just, like, gushed, you know, everything, told him everything, and my dad, this is what's going on, I'm so scared, and, and I'll tell you, even as a pastor, I would have been, like, see someone with their hands in their face, I was like, I should probably leave them alone. <laughs> Aaron, well, Aaron doesn't leave people alone, and <laughs> he knew, he knew what I needed, and it meant a great deal to me, Aaron. It really did. And he gave me a big hug the next Sunday as well. And, uh, and if, you know, the fear of being intrusive totally could have kept him from loving and serving me in that way. And so don't let the fear of being intrusive keep you from people. A second thought, speak about the death. You might think, you know, I don't want to speak about this. They're already so sad. If I bring it up, I'm just going to make them sadder. Uh, say something. This could be as simple as I'm sorry, my condolences. I know for me, those two lines, I was like, I can't say that. It's so canned. It's so cliche. It's what everyone says. That's all you have to say. There is nothing else to say. And that's why God's given us these little cliche lines so that we have something to say. It's okay. And it was okay, it's okay to me, and it, it was okay to anyone. I know many of you did say that, and, and I just want you to know that I know how it feels like this isn't communicating the gravity of what's happened, and, um, but I, it's, it's appreciated that it's acknowledged. And I, I'll tell you one thing that was particularly a blessing is, you know, if you know the person, speaking about the person who's passed and why you love them, um, the, the following Sunday when I was here after my dad had passed, I was, you know, sitting over in the corner there and uh, Tracy, um, uh, I looked at her, uh, okay, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and Tracy, you know, just told me about how much she appreciated my friendship with my dad and how close we were and how inspiring that was to her. And that, you know, it broke my heart and I was so grateful to hear those words. And, and C.S. Lewis talks about that whenever you praise a person, you know, person who's passed, or praise God for a person. Praise always has hope and joy woven into it. It always has comfort, and even if it makes you cry, it comforts you. And I was certainly comforted. So those, those are a couple thoughts. So being with the dying and the grieving brings us closer to the present unseen world. But also, death focuses us on the future unseen world. There's not only a present unseen world, there's a future unseen world that is coming. And one of the most important descriptions in the whole New Testament about that future world is in this passage. And uh, it's, it starts there in verse 5, or, or chapter 5, verse 1, where this is what Paul says. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... That's, that's our current bodies. He says our bodies right now are a tent 
uh, and they are destroyed at death. And then he describes what our future is. We have a building, not a tent, but a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, this body, we groan. And I want to say, do you know what the sound of a dying person is? Is groaning. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that, is what, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Um, now, I want to make something very clear about the Christian hope. As many of you know, every week after the sermon, we recite the Apostles' Creed, and the final two lines of the Apostles' Creed say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And what that means is that what God did for Jesus when he raised Jesus' body from the dead, uh, God is going to do for my dad and raise his body from the dead. And it's not just that we are going to be unclothed, that we're going to lose our body and just be a spirit forever. But Paul says there's coming a day where we will be further clothed. If this body is a tent, the future one is a house, permanent, indestructible, beautiful. And, you know, during my dad's memorial service, there were all these pictures of him as a young man. And, you know, he was strong. He was handsome. You saw him. He looks like a movie star. And I always wished that I could be with him when he was like that, that we could be young together. Amazingly, this is what the gospel promises us in the future unseen world. And I have to quote C.S. Lewis one more. I haven't preached for two months, so I've been storing up my C.S. Lewis quotes. So here's... One more, in, in the last of C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories called The Last Battle, there is a scene after Narnia has been remade in the age to come. And the main character, Turian, comes to this garden. And in this garden, uh, he meets Reepicheep, who is a mouse, who's like the greatest warrior in Narnian history. And Reepicheep lives centuries before Turian, and here he is alive. And Turian's so amazed that he's seeing Reepicheep and meeting Reepicheep. And then it, this is what it says happens. But before he had much time to think of this, he felt two strong arms thrown about him and felt a bearded kiss on his cheeks and heard a well-remembered voice saying, what, lad, art thicker and stronger since I last touched thee? It was his own father, the good king Erlian. But not as Turian had seen him last when they brought him home pale and wounded from his fight with the giants. Nor even as Turian remembered him in his later years when he was a gray-headed warrior. This was his father, young and merry as he could just remember him from very early days when he himself had been a little boy playing games with his father in the castle garden at Caer Paravel, just before bedtime on summer evenings. The very smell of the bread and milk he used to have for supper came back to him. That picture is our hope in the future world that we can't see yet. We will be clothed not with dying, decaying tents, but with young, strong houses 
and we will be together always. If there's one thing that God has given me over this year watching death at work in my dad, it's not only that God uses death to form our inner selves, our character. It's not only that the unseen realm is more real than this one, but it has also become so clear to me that there is only one possible ending to this story we are living in. If there is a good God, death will be reversed. Death will be undone. What other ending could there be to this story? And I eagerly await the day when my dad's two strong arms will be thrown around me again. And he says that I'm thicker than when he last saw me. And he won't be a tent that is wasting away, but a house strong and young and radiant. And he will tell me all that he has learned about God, and we will dwell in God's house together forever. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we praise you that you are a God of love and power. We see that despite how tragic death is, your goodness is greater. And you work your beauty and hope and joy in the midst of it. Father, I praise you for this church family that have loved me and my family during this difficult season, and I pray that others who are here as they grieve would know that love as well. And uh, Father, we pray that as we reflect on our own deaths, that uh, the forming of Christ in our inner lives would be our highest priority and that you'd give us a deeper confidence in the present unseen world and that perfect world that is coming. We praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.